0: Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. Welcome to The Indispensables. Uh, Today, I'm welcoming George Berg. George Berg is Vice President of Operations for Automotive Aftermarket at Bosch. Bosch is this giant zillion dollar company. If you don't know about it, you really should. Uh, And George Berg is one of my favorite executives at Bosch. Uh, I'm honored to say that Bosch has been a client. Uh, George Berg has been a client. Uh, I've learned so much from him. I want uh, you, my listeners, I want everyone to, to meet him and to learn from him too. So, uh, George Berg, welcome to The Indispensables.
1: Thank you very much, Bruce. Really great to be here. I appreciate it and I'm honored that you gave me the invitation to speak. Um, happy to be on with you and uh, yeah, thank you.
0: Well, I mean, look, after all, you're, I mean, you know, you're what I call a pretty big shot executive. You have P&L <laughs> responsibilities for 190 million US dollar division of Bosch, right?
1: Yeah, actually that was the last role. This currently is now I'm responsible. It's about a 1.6 billion dollar company, the aftermarket division. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. Okay, so 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 it's wait crazy. a
0: minute. So you've you've graduated from I graduated yeah. a little bit, sure. <laughs> I, I I I demoted you to uh just 200 million or so, but it's actually eight times that. $1. Yeah. 1.6 billion dollars. Gosh. Um okay, well, uh um can I have some <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a it's a really great division of Bosch. I mean that's I've been very fortunate in my career at Bosch and, and a lot of executives you speak with. I think you know Sylvia Vogt and she's been a guest on your um your podcast. Um Bosch provides tremendous opportunity for development of people at all levels. And uh yeah, I've been very fortunate to have a good career with Bosch and a continued Let's say challenge in every division I I go lead and manage.
0: Yeah, it's 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 an amazing company, and uh, uh, yes, for those of you who are interested, Sylvia Vogt, uh, who was president of Carnegie Bosch Institute, um, where I had uh, uh, a lot of uh, chances over maybe a ten-year period to work with leaders like George Berg. That's how yep. I got to to meet George. Um, so yep. maybe you can explain what this 1.6 billion dollar uh, automotive aftermarket business looks like.
1: Sure, certainly. So, um, yeah, Bosch in North America. You said it. it, it overall, we're about a 90 billion dollar company. Okay, 90 billion. So you yes. still have room to grow. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yes, yes. I mean, our division globally, automotive aftermarkets, makes up about six billion of that 90 billion, right? And then in North America, we represent 1.6 billion of that 6 billion division. Yeah. And for sales in North America. And I think most people would relate to it um, in that if you go into AutoZone, is our largest customer, O'Reilly's Pet Boys, and you need windshield wipers for your vehicle, that's our business. So any part that you need for your vehicle, and you go into the retail stores or you go into a service uh, a shop, Um, they'll probably have a Bosch component that will fix your vehicle, whether that's a brake, a spark plug, a windshield wiper, and that's my division. I'm responsible for the operations of that division, so I manage all of the inbound, outbound shipments, order-to-delivery of all those components, whether it's going to a Ford dealer where you might service your vehicle, an independent car shop that you might service your vehicle, or if you pick up the parts from a retail company uh, like AutoZone, that's the day-to-day business that we run. That 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 equates to about 1.6 billion.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's that's incredible. And and can you explain your role? Um, uh, it, it's because it's you know uh, one of the things I've learned over the years, and partly from you, is just how many complex details are involved in getting those parts uh you know it's it's no small thing to get those parts into pep boys or whatever right no
1: right yeah no it's a challenge and uh so my organization i'm logistics means i'm responsible for the overall inbound and outbound of our parts so from our suppliers maintaining the right levels of inventory in the warehouse to shipping them on time to our customers when they order them um so the main components of mine are i have the planning organization they're the ones who determine through sales forecasting how much we should have in inventory i have the transportation organization so that's executing all of that from the challenges we face today on container shipments Um, um, you know inbound transportation has been very very challenging and then the third component is warehousing Um, so the warehousing Running the warehouses and putting warehouses in the right place that are the least cost and, and most effective to deliver to our organization, um, and then it includes some other things like customs and duties, management of foreign trade, those types of activities. So, what
0: uh, 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 for everyone who's hearing about all these supply chain problems, that's your world, right? That's you me. are, you are, you are the supply chain.
1: I am the supply chain. I'm executing the supply chain, which yeah, is very yeah, Oh, right, right, right. It's not. Don't blame George. He's not. <laughs> he, he's, no, you, he's, you can blame me. I'm just saying it's yeah, it's a challenge. But absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's been an incredibly difficult two years. I think everybody's faced with the same thing. And fortunate for me, largely the suppliers in my organization are other Bosch plants. Right. So We also, Bosch, you know, the majority of our business, we supply the components to the assembly lines, to the manufacturers directly, Ford, Chrysler, GM, et cetera. Um, So then they also continue to manufacture those parts up to 10 and 20 years after your vehicle has been stopped being produced on an assembly line, you know, so they produce it and they supply to me. So from that perspective, you know, we have a captive supply base for the most part, uh, but it's still challenging. Absolutely
0: and And, yeah, and so the uh, the the things that most people are reading about uh, or hearing about on on uh, on the news, uh, that's your day to day reality.
1: That's our day to day reality. The semiconductor shortage is an incredible challenge. The transportation costs, and I mean, right now, as we speak, you know, Shanghai is still locked down after almost a month, and getting containers out of that port is incredibly difficult, if not impossible. And then the costs, I mean, the costs in the supply chain are increasing significantly. Um, I think you've heard all the inflation issues and wages, labor scarcity, and I'm sure we'll talk about this. You know, you've been trying to help me engage people and create an environment here that people want to work, but it's been getting difficult to get people to come to work and stay to work with the government incentives, which have now finally ended. And we raised my total payroll in the warehouses by over $5 million just to attract and retain associates. So. All of those challenges were the, we're facing right now
0: um, yeah, and you are and and you're you're at the top of uh, again I, I realize it's 90 billion and then it's six billion globally, it, but 1.6 billion that's a pretty big business to be running.
1: it is it is yeah, it's really enjoyable it's it's great it's a and, it's a it's challenging and that's what I really enjoy. I don't want things to be easy. I always tell people you know if everything were easy and it worked, you wouldn't need us. I mean, you know, the computers could place the orders and algorithms, and uh, but it's a challenge, and it's yeah, very enjoyable. And I mean, the piece I really like a lot. I have about six hundred associates in my organization. That that's where I like. You know, that's why you and I are talking to create an environment not just about money, but about culture, about leadership, about engaged leadership that people are motivated and enjoy working for a company.
0: I can testify. To your commitment and uh, to your uh, willingness to invest, and it has been uh, a great learning experience. And I hope others have learned from me also when I've had a chance to work with uh, with folks among those 600 associates. Um, so, so you now you're a relative newcomer to Bosch, right? You've only been there for 26 years.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, 26 years.
0: And uh, so, how did you? Uh, so, so you came in uh, it's not like that was your first job, right? I mean, you've been, that was eight years into your career. Yeah. still, uh, how did you get to wherever you started? How did you, from wherever you started, how did you get to where you are to be in charge of a $1.6 billion enterprise?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, Bosch is a tremendous organization. Um, if you, when you start to work for Bosch, you have the opportunity to, as long as you are, a, you work hard, you do well, and you're committed, I think Bosch will support your career development. That's one great thing about the company. We're a privately held company. We have a very long-term view because we're privately held. Um, and a lot of the executive positions get filled from within. We rarely go outside for those positions. Um, so I had the opportunity, you know, when I came to Bosch quickly, I had the opportunity that. Uh, to start my first, um, uh, assignment overseas. So many of the executives at Bosch, we have what's called four leadership, uh, elements that, um, we try to have executives have like a cross divisional assignment, a project assignment, uh, uh, an international assignment. Um, and so I had the opportunity to do that, moved to Germany, um, and that gives you a tremendous experience to understand the culture of the company. Um, and then from there, just came back to the United States in various roles and continued to have an opportunity to develop.
0: And so and you have, um, I mean, I know you you finished school. I won't ask what year, although I'm pretty sure you and I are about the same age. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you actually studied logistics. In college, right at Wayne State, and when you were at university, so you, how did you know you wanted to focus on logistics?
1: You know, that's really interesting. It, I, I didn't honestly. I mean, I did end up getting a degree in business logistics. Um, that was the field that I studied. I wanted to go into finance and business economics. So my, you know, um, however, you know, I got the first role uh, with another multinational company right out of college and. Really enjoyed it, um, and you know my development within Bosch. Again, the great thing about the company is that I have I've had an opportunity to be the head of internal audit, um, which has a focus on a lot of commercial functions, not just logistics. And I had the opportunity then to become a CFO of another division, a packaging division of Bosch. So even at a high level, when I was a director, I was able to make a um, functional change and the organization supports that where i'd never been a cfo before frankly i'd never did a month end close i was never responsible for banking uh, relationships and cash application but i studied it and learned it and they gave me the opportunity Um, so i was going in a finance track actually and then i went an opportunity came up in boston at the thermotechnology division that uh, they needed a sort of COO, CFO type role that had but had good operational content. So um, it was sort of a turnaround opportunity um, that they weren't profitable and had a new regional president. And, and he and I met and, and he really liked my background. So that took me back toward the operational role when in fact I was really on a track to become like a um, CFO of larger automotive divisions or a plant.
0: I'm guessing that having that kind of finance experience uh, is part of what's made it possible for you to run such a large enterprise, right? Because you know uh, uh, those CFOs, you know, they're, they, you know, they're they, they're always the guy who can make you look good or make you look bad, or they're they're the ones who yeah. who who know really what's under the hood, uh, yeah. pun in, pun intended.
1: Yeah. No, and it's you know the puzzle pieces that have been fit together are just outstanding, and I feel like the. Although it's not completely purposeful, my career discretion, my career development, all the puzzle pieces are coming together to give me just a great. I love being like the number two leader in an organization. And I have the understanding of how a PL works and what impact I can have on a PL. And especially turnaround organizations, I, it's been fun to take a non profitable division to make it very profitable. And I came into this role two years ago. And they were already two years into a turnaround. So the regional president and the CFO of this company have done a tremendous job. But knowing that business, it absolutely helps me take a different perspective. You know, I'm not just going to optimize inventory for the sake of optimizing inventory. I'm going to balance that with how do we satisfy our customers. So if I need to impact the cost by having more inventory so that I can service our customers better, you know, I know how to explain that business case and to have that conversation with our CFO and know what the impact is on a business. So, I mean, I, I really am grateful for the opportunities I had and I feel I really enjoy my role and this organization is large and complex and I feel like I can have an impact on it because of the opportunities I have had in the other divisions.
0: Yeah, it's, 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 um, uh, it's, it's I see that a lot in Bosch because it's such a large, complex organization, uh, because it's privately held, which for those who are not paying attention, billion company privately held. Although there's this really fascinating detail about Bosch, which I always like to point out, which is a controlling interest is held by a nonprofit foundation. Exactly. Also so interesting and cool. And I think it has a huge impact on the culture. What's your view of the impact it has on the culture?
1: No, I think you're absolutely right, Bruce. I mean, that's part of my why, right? Why do I work for Bosch and why have I stayed with Bosch for 26 years when there could have been a lot of other companies I work for? And their social responsibility, their environmental sustainability, and that's all about the Bosch Foundation. Um, I'm on the board of the Bosch Community Fund which here in North America, it's sort of the arm of the Bosch Stiftung that gives away $5 million a year to nonprofit organizations that meet our core criteria of STEM education, environmental sustainability. And it's, I'm, I'm proud to say that Bosch gives much of their profit to a foundation that does tremendous work in, in Europe with hospitals. And it, it's just a tremendous company. So-
0: and it, if, if I'm correct, I think it also uh, protects ownership and control of the company, right? So that it it can't right. just be taken over by investors.
1: That's right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I think then even the founding, the the remaining family members of Bosch also have a percentage interest in that, in voting rights, and then the then then the Bosch board itself. So they separate the voting rights from the ownership rights.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's really fascinating. And it's one of the most, to me, one of the most interesting things about Bosch. And yet here you are, you know, generating $90 billion a year. It's just amazing. And so, okay, but I, if, if, please forgive me for saying so, but it's not always the case that logistics people, uh, purchasing people, supply chain experts, financial uh, uh, folks, it's not always the case that they're people, people, but you're really a people, people in my opinion. And, and after all, now you're, you're, you have 600 people. Um, Maybe you could say something about the leadership side. I mean, maybe you've just always been a people, people, Uh, but, but um, how did you uh, realize early on that leading and managing and supervising, guiding, directing, supporting people, taking care of people, helping them succeed. How did you realize early on that that was so important to uh, what you wanted to do and uh, to your success?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I remember my first management position in Bosch and I was incredibly intimidated because you come into an organization that you don't know anybody and you don't know really your job to a certain extent. I knew materials management, and but I didn't really... Know the business, and I didn't know the people. And you know, um, I absolutely love helping people achieve more than they ever thought they could. And I really like providing people a different perspective on how to solve problems and how to how to how to increase efficiency and productivity for themselves. You know, and, and develop themselves. So. You know, I've always been an outgoing person. Um, It's sort of a type A personality and um, socially I enjoy interacting with people. And then the whole leadership aspect of having the opportunity to help change cultures of organizations is really what I enjoy doing. Where, you know, in my organization before I came here, there was a tremendous amount of turnover. My position, in fact, had turned over two times in six months and below it, it was even higher, like 20 percent turnover. We have now people lined up to come into my organization. And, you know, I don't want to take full credit for that. That's I have great leaders underneath me and you've helped that. Right. And it's really been a great um, and that's where. We still have work to do in the warehouses and the l- other levels where I, you're gonna help us there too, right? You've touched about 250 people in our Chicago office and you've got about 400 more to go in our warehouses, right?
0: Right, exactly. And just for the record, I haven't actually physically touched them. Touch is a metaphor.
1: <laughs> yes, you've um, communicated with them, sorry.
0: Yeah, no, 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 I, I hope I've touched them metaphorically. I yeah, just don't want people to get the wrong idea. Like I was understood. thinking about hiring Bruce, but he's going to touch our employees.
1: <laughs> yes. But um, you've had you've had a good influence and you've helped, you know, you and I met and that's why you've helped me tremendously. So I'm not on my own in terms of changing this culture. And we really get, get the same mindset in people. And you know, it, so it's been great, and that's really uh, an area I, I, I consider myself a servant leadership is what I tell my people, right? That my job is to make your job you your job easier and make you better. That's it. Because if it if you do better and it's easier for you, then we're going to succeed as a as a company.
0: Yeah, and and um, I, I was going to ask you how um, you would describe your leadership style, but I will draw a bright line under something you said, which is you know here you are. Uh, among the first things you had to say uh, was that you wanted to share credit. That it's not just you. That it's your people. Uh, you you even give me a little credit, you know, which which is very kind of you. Um, and you know, so one of the things uh, you you seem to, you know, for a pretty big shot executive, uh, you you are very um, uh, careful. I think about how you wield your power and you seem like you're able to leave your ego at the door, which is, I think is such a wonderful trait if you're going to be in charge of other people.
1: Yeah, thank you, absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's any room for ego, honestly. Um, well, I've got
0: about a thousand other clients you could mention that to. <laughs>
1: you know, and I always, it's, it's interesting. Small things make a big difference in changing people's perspective that, you know, in, during the crisis, I went and worked in the warehouse for four weeks. I was a warehouse worker and they didn't even know who I was a lot of the people. So I was there and I just said, okay, sign me up. I went through orientation, got in the, I picking, packing, shipping, everything. I mean, I worked for 13 hours a day for two weeks straight just helping output because we couldn't hire people. So I brought myself and seven people down and we worked in Atlanta for two weeks and I'm not above anybody, you know, and I always, I like to get caught picking up garbage off the floor, you know, and wherever I go, I, I tell people, this isn't Bosch's organization. This is our organization. This is our facility. And if you see something like that, you know, it's not somebody else's job to clean it up. It's, you know, just like your home. Let's make it a good environment. And I think that those small things that you can do to prove that, you know, I'm not better than anybody. And it's, you know, I like the story that I had one time uh, about, you know, this, this um, uh, leadership and connecting people to the purpose. I always use a visual of a cathedral being built. And there's one guy who's hammering a stone and he's saying, I'm hammering a stone. The next guy is hammering the same stone and says, I'm making a window. The third guy is hammering a stone and says, I'm building a th- cathedral, you know, and, Ooh, and that's that's good. First, yeah, that's the perspective. And, and you know, another story was NASA is always one when they were sending people to the moon. You know, someone stopped the janitor and said, what are you doing here this late at night? And he said, I'm, I'm helping send someone to the moon. Right. That's awesome. That's and, and that's awesome. the idea. Right. I think that. Yeah, we're there. And, uh, uh,
0: I, 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 so I want to drill down on you're, uh, uh, going into the warehouse, you brought seven people into the warehouse. Now I, I take you at your word that one of the reasons is that you were the warehouse, the warehouse was understaffed. Right. Um, and, and, uh, so you were trying to help out, yep. but I take it. that was, there was more to it than just that. I'm guessing you wanted to see up close what was going on. You wanted to learn about it. Uh, is that right?
1: A part of it? Yeah, part of it. But honestly, I it, it, the objective was to really help ship product. You know, number one priority was we were way down. We normally have about 148 people in the warehouse. When the government stimulus after COVID came out, we dropped down to 80. So wow. we, we, we could not ship. People were getting paid more staying at home than they were coming to the warehouse. So we, we, we started to increase rates and we have increased rates significantly, as I mentioned, but we needed hands on deck. So that was number one. But absolutely, I mean, I was there and, it, and it's, you know, a go to Gemba moment where I got to understand in detail how our processes worked because I worked them. And as a result of that, for example, I learned that our largest commodity product, Wipers, We distribute in an incredibly complex way. So, a decision out of that, now I'm moving wiper distribution to one of our warehouses in Somerville, South Carolina, outside of Charleston. And it's going to be about five, eight times more productive than it is today in Atlanta. So, yeah, there was a lot of of understanding our processes better, but I didn't want to do that in an intimidating way, meaning I don't want the warehouse manager to feel like I'm coming in to spy on their processes. And, you know, say you're not doing things effectively. It was really about helping the organization get caught up and ship products on time to our customer. Um, so for- did
0: anyone know that you were the boss's 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 boss?
1: <laughs> um, you know, I think for the first week, there were about two people who knew. Of course, the warehouse manager knew, and then the person who did orientation somehow he was told. So he was a little bit intimidated by giving me orientation. Um, but, The people out on the floor didn't know, um, which I really appreciated. I built some great relationships with some of the people that are working out there and got to engage them and talk to them. And, you know, that's fundamentally where we have some disconnects, where the communication between the team leads and and the people on the warehouse floor isn't there. Like, and I would fist pump people, give them high fives when we met our targets, talk to them about why are you here? do you work for Bosch or are you a temp and really engage everybody at every level to say, what's your purpose? What, you know, and it was a tremendous experience, just a tremendous experience. I,
0: I mean, it sounds like it. I, I uh, am realizing as we talk that I'm going to have to write an article about this. Um, this I mean, uh, I don't think I knew that you did that. And who were the seven who, uh, who you brought with you? So what were the seven people you brought with you?
1: It was various people in my organization here in Chicago, in the Chicago office. So there's planners and there's project managers who report to me in my organization here. And we got I just asked anybody who wanted to volunteer if you would come down and help out. And so seven people stepped up out of a, you know, I have an organization of about 30, 40 people here in Chicago. Um, and, and seven were able to come and, and and remind you, it was a difficult time. It was in the middle of COVID. It was, we had to wear masks constantly, right? Social distancing, everything. And right. because we we're considered a, um, Oh, what did they call it? Uh, essential, you know, essential, exactly. Essential organization. We kept running during COVID because we have to supply parts to, you know, among other things, ambulances and fire trucks and things like that. So we, we were allowed to stay in business, um, but yeah, so it was a challenging time, and that's where the seven people volunteered. Yeah, and, well. and 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 did
0: they learn a bunch of stuff from it?
1: Oh my, yes. I, I mean it was great because there were planners who plan the product, right? So they set the inventory levels in the warehouse and they got to see how the products that they plan are distributed. And you know, we we we've talked about it and we haven't implemented it yet, but having that rotational program that if someone comes in as a planner, you know, go to Gemba and understand exactly how your product is shipped. What we do because ultimately we're a distribution company so that's our core competence it should be our core competence we need to be excellent at distribution because we don't make anything we buy stuff put it in a warehouse and ship it to our customer right our other um, plants so, so that's, that's.
0: i mean that's just so great and okay i want to i want to uh uh i want a cost of uh cost saving of this windshield wiper innovation so what what, what do you suppose annually uh, that improvement will add to the bottom line?
1: Uh, minimum of $2 million.
0: Wow. Okay. So uh, annually. So let's annually. just say it's $2 million. So over a five-year period, that change could save $10 million, yeah. But of course, it'll probably be a growing uh, savings because the business is still growing, right? That's correct.
1: It's growing. Plus, that doesn't include really the productivity gains that we're going to get. So $2 million alone is sort of fixed cost improvement because we eliminate a third-party warehouse. So that I'm now taking that third-party warehouse and moving the product in or to Charleston, South Carolina. And um, so that's just the operational cost alone of that third-party warehouse. Now, incrementally, if you put the productivity increase, which we're still testing, we're just ramping up and going full production in September, um, you know, I expect it's going to be significantly more. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. So, so I...
0: Three million a year? I I don't want to
1: say a target. I don't want someone to hold me accountable, right?
0: (laughs) Got it. All right. Well, I'm going to call it 15 million over over five years. And so uh, now I guess the learning was priceless. I guess the legend, I'm guessing it's now a legend in the (laughs) the organization as well. And I think the legend is priceless. So the learning for you and your team priceless, the legend of for the organization, priceless, but actually the business improvement of one, and I'm guessing there are other business improvements, the business yep. improvement, one business improvement, uh, yep. I'm calling it $15 million over five years. So yeah. uh, that, yeah. that,
1: now that is a yeah.
0: success story.
1: No, it's great. And I, you know, that's, it was also a challenge to get it approved. And it took a last, My I, I'll never forget. And people have said to me, uh, our board came from Germany who runs this $6 billion company. And the president was there in person. And I needed a decision made that day because a lease was going to be expiring of, or the, the offer from the real estate agent for the place in Somerville had to be made that week. Wow. And so I put him... Under a little bit of pressure, and I said, I need your support to make a decision today, and gave him the business case. And it was, and I have to say, you talk about courageous leadership, and I really respect he's just retiring. Mr. Bodden is his name. He's just retiring this year. He had the courage and he said, You know, George, go ahead, let's go for it, let's do it. And it's the best, you know, example I've had in a long time in my Bosch career of someone making a good, courageous decision because that could have gone the opposite way that could have gone, I, you can't put this in front of me and have me make a decision immediately in this board meeting.
0: Okay. So, uh, well, well, I think that's a fantastic story. Uh, and, um, uh, and, 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 and I think it speaks volumes about your commitment. Um, and, and, uh, and I'm guessing that just all the way around, uh, that was super impressive, but how did you convince the president? Uh, uh, to, so you had the president, you're trying yeah. to convince him. How yeah. did you convince him?
1: Well, I mean, first and foremost, the, you know, the business case spoke for itself. So there was savings, but there was a lot of risk inherent with making that decision. You know, we don't want to disrupt our customers in our largest commodity. There's questions of whether we could manage the inventory better and stay in the space in Atlanta and still fit it. So there were a lot of questions about it. And, you know, ultimately I, I honestly said to him I said look you hired me as the supply chain executive to optimize the supply chain and I'm appealing to you to tell you this is the right decision based on what I saw for myself this will significantly improve our productivity and I think this is something we should need we should do and 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 ultimately he said he said yes, and it was great. I mean, it was I was very fortunate, and it's funny. Other board members from our board, our executive team here in, in North America, commented to me afterwards and said, that's amazing that I've never seen somebody actually make the BV or the president make a decision or ask them to make a decision right then and there, and then got the decision. So it's good. Also, I mean, Bosch is also changing our leadership culture and, and we're a very risk averse organization. We we and, and, and we're great. We work toward the long term. We don't have quarter to quarter pressure. Um, on the other hand, you know, we're very cautious about our growth. We're a very slow growing company, and that's been successful to get us to this 90 billion. Sometimes it's difficult if you don't have a very, very solid business case. But it was great. That's 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 amazing.
0: Um, And so, okay, that's a pretty good example of servant leadership, but you say that your style of leadership, the style you embrace is servant leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, What what does that mean to you? You said your job is to facilitate their success. Um, Your job is to remove obstacles. Uh, Your job is to make everyone realize they're building a cathedral. They are sending someone to
1: the moon. is, what,
0: what does it mean on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah, I, you know, you said it, right? It means helping them remove obstacles. And I ask the question a lot, what is it that's in your way to getting your job done or to make it more effective? When I started, uh, when I start every organization, I have a one-on-one with every single person in the organization, It might take me three to six months, but I sit down with every single person and say, why are you here? What do you want to accomplish personally? And what frustrates you the most in the organization and start to take notes. And that gives me an idea of where are some challenges that our people, I fundamentally believe people come to work to do good and people want to do good and want to achieve goals. They don't want to do bad things. They don't want to be lazy and just take advantage. They want an inspiring job. And so, you know, I try to connect those things and help them be successful to make their job easier. And that, you know, fundamentally is what I I do every day. I mean, it's about, you know, having those one-on-ones with each individual, regular basis, talking about, I just had one before our call with one of my employees and we had a list of topics to talk about. I said, you know what? I don't want to talk about that today. I want to talk about you and your development. You've been in the talent pool. You've been in the management pool now for two years. we got to think about where are you going to go in the organization? And she wasn't prepared for the discussion, but it turned it out to be a great discussion. And, you know, so those are the types.
0: I I find sometimes uh, making sure somebody is prepared for a discussion can be a huge advantage. But sometimes... But sometimes making sure someone's uh, just thinking spontaneously can be a huge advantage.
1: Yeah. And I think she was prepared for the normal topics that we go over this, 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 and this. And, and and this is an individual that's a high potential performer in my organization, always getting things done on or before I ask them. So, you know, the tactical dates, times, everything like that on getting task oriented stuff done isn't as much of an issue. And so, you know, it was just a, a fulfilling discussion to talk. You know, and we hadn't for a couple of months about what does she want to do when she grows up? Where does she want to be in the Bosch organization and talked about many, many different things. So I think those are things that, you know, help in terms of development and and, uh, um, performance in the organization, engage people to want to be here.
0: Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. And when you said you you, you do a one on one with every person, just to be clear, is yeah. that all 600 or is it the the 30 in Chicago?
1: Yeah, it was the 30 in Chicago. I mean, it's in total, it's about 60 people in my organization that are part of, let's say, the office. Those are the ones that you've now already done the leadership with me, um, yep. Yep. Um, but that they're not all in Oakbrook. So I still had one on ones with there's people in Serbia. We have a large office in Belgrade that report into my organization so those people as well so I had one-on-ones with roughly about 60 70 people Wow
0: uh, are you are you affected by uh, the Russian aggression and uh, attacks on you we brain? are
1: yeah we are yeah we have our largest plant for manufacturing spark plugs is in Russia um, and that's actually operating very well still um, you know we have embargoes now and we have we have duties that have been imposed but uh, they're still supplying. Um, we have offices and warehouses in Ukraine, um, Bosch offices and warehouses. Um, so I don't, you know, I, I'm not responsible for them. But there's we're understanding people are all safe, and we've kept track of all of the associates. And there's a crisis management team that's, you know, looking out for all of that.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, uh, what a what a complex situation, and yeah. when you're a leader in a large, complex, global enterprise. Uh, those things affect you, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I'm sure the trade war
0: affected you. Um, yeah. yeah. How do you look at uh, transformational leadership in an environment where uh, you're, you're in the midst of a changing culture? You're, you said you're in the midst of a turnaround. Um, mm-hmm. h- h- what, what does a transformational leader need to do in that environment?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, transformational leadership is more about what we talked about, connecting people with the why of the organization. It's this whole notion that, you know, the carrot and the stick fundamental is you reward people for achieving a target. Right. And and, and discipline them when they don't. Um, that doesn't necessarily work. And, and it works in some situations, you know, like bonuses, incentives for productivity. But I think you get—it's that intrinsic motivation that you want to tap into of people that they're willing to work for you no matter what, and it's really you know giving them autonomy, giving them purpose, um, and that's how you transform. And 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 the the you know results and commitment are exponential if people really feel connected to the organization. That's to me transformational leadership um, that I'm trying to you know tap into for each individual person.
0: Um, and, and so what, if you were to give someone career advice, you and I uh, started this conversation before we went live, you're wearing a West Point t- uh, sweatshirt. Uh, your daughter just graduated from one of the greatest uh, educational institutions in the history of the world, yep. West Point. Uh, she's now an officer in the United States Army. God bless yep. her. Um, and, uh, uh, so you, you, you must have some advice for your daughter. Maybe these days she has some advice for you, but what what is your advice? If you, if you have like a, an elevator ride, it can be a tall building, but if you have an elevator ride to give someone some career advice, what is it?
1: Oh boy. I mean, you know, I, I, I've so I have my one daughter who just graduated from West Point well on her way. I have another daughter who's just graduating from um, Rhode Island, from Bryant University in HR psychology and HR management and incredibly proud of both of them. That uh, and And, you know, and the advice I first and foremost give her is find what you want to do, you know, try to find something that you're passionate about. And she's incredibly creative. And so we're trying to find a role in HR that would leverage her creative nature. She's a great artist and phenomenal talent of music. And um, I think that's, you know, again, connecting to your why. I think, you know, if money were no object, what would you do? I think I'm quoting somebody like Alan Watt or something like that. But, you know, if you really if you didn't need money, if you were, what would you do? Try to find something like that, first and foremost. And then, you know, I, of course, I'm an incredible advocate of Bosch that I think it's, an, it's, it's a tremendous institution that, you know, is very, uh, we talked about it already, you know, socially oriented. The last thing they'll do in a recession is lay people off. Uh, they look out for employees first and foremost. And it's, uh, you know, Which you have true. every opportunity in the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's, and, and, and partly because they can, but that's also, man, that's, that, 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 I would guess that pays dividends over time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You have, you know, you say I've only been here 26 years. I'll tell you, there are a tremendous amount of people that are a lot have been here longer. I think Sylvia, one of them has been exactly. With well, yeah, yeah I,
0: was, I was only sort of kidding. Um, and, uh, 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 you know, it's it's um, uh, people it's amazing. People stay at Bosch. Uh, I guess maybe 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 they don't stay in the warehouse if they're getting six hundred (laughs) a week from the government. But right, right. So so your advice is think about what would you do if money were no object, uh, and 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 so that's really purpose driven purpose driven work. And yeah, yeah. What is your why? What is your why?
1: Yeah, I think that's where people really, you know, work shouldn't have to be work that you should enjoy. And, you know, I'm lucky to have found my why that I, as I told you, I love being sort of a number two person in an organization, helping transform it. Um, you know, I, I really, it connects with what I like to do. My last three roles in Bosch have been all very similar. Um with a little bit different um, size of organization, but nonetheless, you know, transformational in that it's money losing divisions that need to uh, improve and engage people. So it's, it's been a, it's been a tremendous um, experience.
0: Well, I have no doubt that uh, should you decide you want to be number one, you will be uh, in in due time. Uh, Otherwise you'll be number two in an even larger organization. If if being a lieutenant is what you like, <laughs> um, then then I'm guessing you will be uh, uh, anyone would be fortunate to have you uh, as their number two or as their number one. George Berg, thank you. thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Bruce. This was great. It was great.
0: Next week on The Indispensables, Bruce will be joined by Jazz Janine from Angel of the Winds Casino Resort, and they'll discuss managing and working with Gen Z. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at go to underscore podcast. That's at go to underscore podcast. Learn more about go toism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.